0: We're actually finishing up kind of our Good God sermon series where we've chosen as a church to not deny and pretend there is an evil and and hardship in our world, but, but we've chosen to kind of take our eyes off of that and really try and focus on the goodness of God. Um, in in this time and in this season and the way we've been doing that is is not just looking at the goodness of God that Jesus Christ did when he was in the flesh walking in our world, um, which is a big part of what we're celebrating this weekend, Um, but to also look about what what is the good that Jesus is doing now that he's risen from the dead, now that he is alive. After Easter Sunday, what is the good that Jesus has been doing? And and we've kind of encapsulated that in this phrase, um, it is finished. It's not our phrase. (laughs) But it is finished with the ellipses afterwards, like it is finished, dot, 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 you know how they do the to be continued, dot, 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 it's like it is finished. What Jesus came to do and and accomplished on that cross was a completed work. He completed the work He came to do. He completed the plan that God and Him had for this incarnation for those 33 years. It was finished, all the work necessary to bring us to a place of salvation. All the work necessary to get us to a place of justification, sanctification, glorification. All the work that was necessary to set us free from the bondage of sin and death. All the work that was needed for this redemption to take place. All the work that was needed to to break the separation between God and man. That was all completed through his death and resurrection. And we celebrate that. and We rejoice in that. Um, But at the same time, if you're like me, when you... When you consider your thoughts, you consider some of the desires within you, you're like, man, it doesn't seem like the work is finished. And when you, when you consider the people that maybe you're sitting next to right now or you work with or live with, you're like, I know the work is not finished. <laughs> these people messed up. Um, and, and no doubt when you look at the world around us and all of the shootings and the wars and all of these things that are going on, we know that, that, that there is still work to do. And the Bible makes it very clear that it is finished. What Jesus came to do was totally complete, but at the same time, he's still at work. And so what are the things he's doing? He's interceding for us. He's advocating for us. He's giving us rest when we come to him. He's teaching us to be gentle and he's being gentle and merciful with us. He's finishing the work that he began in us. We talked about that last week, Philippians chapter one. He who began a good work in you, he will be faithful to complete it. He's still working on us. He's still working on us. He hasn't given up on us. He hasn't quit on us. Though we are faithless, He remains faithful. And that's the good news. And today we're going to talk about another thing that Jesus is doing right now, currently. The Bible makes it very clear, but this one just, this one's just, this one's just hard to grasp. This one just almost feels like it's too good to be true or maybe just too hard to accomplish. Or maybe it's just a nice thought, but it's never really landed deep in our soul. So I'm gonna do my best. Easter Sunday, you ready? Let's jump in. Genesis chapter one, if you wanna turn there. Um, That will be the first place we start in the scriptures, and we'll kinda work our way through the rest, the whole scriptures after that. Um, And we'll get out of here, you know, by the end of today. You know, in time for the sun's game, something like that. no, but we'll start in Genesis chapter 1. But basically, the, the thing that Jesus is doing right now is he's bringing good out of evil. He's taking what was meant for evil and he's turning it to good. Right now, currently, super hard to believe. Super, super hard to, to believe. But Easter is really the greatest example of that. That's the whole point of Easter. That's what I've been chewing on this whole Easter is just realizing it's that simple. What the resurrection did was it turned what was meant for evil into good. And in fact, it turned the greatest, most profound, deepest act of evil ever and turned it into the greatest act of salvation ever. On that day that Jesus was crucified, he went through a... Made up trial on false charges. All of the political power of the world, all of the religious power of the world came together and conspired together to crucify the sinless Savior, ruler, maker, sustainer of everything. The crowd shouted, we will not have this man rule over us. Let his blood be upon us. We hate this man. We don't want this man. Get rid of him. Give us Barabbas instead. And that was the cry of the human heart. This evil that was present in that day and age, and it's still present today, was crying out in rebellion against God. The one who had come, the one who had served and helped so many, the one who had never once sinned. And then they put nails in his hands and feet. They put a thorn, thorns in his brow and a spear in his side. And they whipped his back. And they beat him with their fists and they beat him with sticks. They tore out his beard. They spit on him, made fun of him and made him carry his cross basically to a trash heap because that's all they saw him as. And all of the evil forces present in the flesh, the devil, and the world all came together in one powerful, powerful blow, choked out the Son of God. And Friday night, and Saturday morning, and Saturday night, the whole world was gripped with the evil. It says the darkness came in the middle of the day. The whole earth shook. As evil took over. And the grief of the disciples and the women that were following Jesus, as they saw this happen, was present and palpable. And then we know on Sunday morning Jesus rose from the dead. He rose from the dead and, and at the name of Jesus now everyone can be saved. What was meant for evil God turned to the greatest good that now basically there is the first fruits of life. And that life, according to the scriptures, is going to take over every ounce of death the world has ever experienced. The life that Jesus brought forth in that resurrection will continue to wipe out all the death forevermore. And that was the great act. In Genesis chapter 1, this is not new for God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface. That's a description of evil. Formless, empty, darkness. Void of life, void of good, void of light. Actually, the Hebrew word there is tohu vabohu. You can say it. Go ahead. You can say it. Tohu vabohu. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. It's like one of the funnest Hebrew words because all the other ones like destroy your throat when you try and say it. ha, ha. But in that space, it says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In that space of tohu vabohu, in that place of evil, the Spirit of God was present and hovering. And then in that space, in the very space that was evil, God spoke and said, let there be. And there was. There was light. There was creation. There was life. There was beauty. There was all of the manifest reality of creation that we get to enjoy and experience today. There were sunsets. There were big, huge fish that you can catch. There were all kinds of really wonderful things that we enjoy all the time created in that space of evil. You fast forward a little bit here to Genesis chapter 45. You got the story of Joseph. Some of you may know it. Joseph was the 11th brother of 11 brothers. And his older brothers didn't like him because he was the baby. He was the favorite. I was the youngest of, of three boys, and my brothers were okay with me. But then I chose to play basketball, and they were state wrestlers. It was a very bad decision for my well-being. Um, they were bigger, and they were wrestling. And I was smaller and played basketball, you know? It wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't a great deal for me. So they beat me up all the time. But sure enough, the, Joseph's brothers, they did the same thing. They kind of turned against him. And at one point, they threw him into his pit. But one of the older brothers was like, no, that's mean. We can't leave him in a pit. So he sold him into slavery to Egypt, <laughs> which is like, he gets kind of credit in the Bible as being the nicer brother. But I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Um, so anyways, they sell him as, as a slave to Egypt. And they didn't live in Egypt. So it was like they they sold him into slavery to a place he didn't speak the language, he didn't know anyone, and it was a great evil that came upon Joseph that gripped him, the betrayal, the angst, the uncertainty. And yet in that space, he trusts the Lord and finds himself, you know, rising to be the lead slave in Potiphar's house, which is cool, right? It's like, okay, well, things are better than they were when I was the new slave, now I'm the lead slave, so I, I can see that there is goodness here. But then Potiphar's wife is all like, "Hey," and he's like, "Huh," and uh, she puts the moves on him, and he's like, "No thanks." And she's mad at him now, and she gets him in trouble, and then he becomes, you know, in in prison. But for some reason, Joseph decides to trust the Lord still, and pretty soon he's the lead prisoner. <laughs> What's up? What's up? <laughs> You know? It's like, okay, this is better than when I was the new prisoner. Um, Now I'm the lead prisoner and I can see that God is good and stuff, but he's still just the lead prisoner. And then he helps out some guys. One of them was in Pharaoh's court. He forgets about him, but then eventually remembers him. He tells Pharaoh about him. He gets brought out and now he becomes the second in command over all of Egypt. He's the lead politician of the world. And yet for Joseph, he's still not moved. Yes, this is better than when I was in prison or when I was in Potiphar's house. But it isn't until chapter 45 where all of a sudden the goodness of God shows up in a way that basically completely undoes him. Let's read about it. Chapter 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. In this moment, we finally have Joseph where he is broken. By what he's just stumbled into, what he's just discovered. Because what would have happened is famine had come across the whole world at this time, the known world. And, and, and Joseph's brothers and his father, his father's household, they, were, they had become people who had no more food. And they had heard that there was food in Egypt. And so his brothers, They come down and they wait in the long line to find out about this food. They get to the front of the line and they say, okay, sir, we are from this other place where these people, and we need some food. Can we get some food? And Joseph is the one that they're talking to now to try and get the food. And Joseph sees them and doesn't quite know what to do. And there's a series of circumstances where he's messed with them a little bit maybe. But then at some point he calls them off into this side room And he says to them, I'm Joseph. you are my brothers. And they didn't recognize him because it's been 22 years, and he's all Egyptian. You know, he's got the, like, makeup that goes right here, and he's all like, I don't know, whatever. (laughs) He's Egyptian. They don't recognize him. It's been a long time. He's not a little boy anymore. And yet in this moment, when he sees his brothers and when he sees the reality that he is going to be able to give food to his father's household to save his family, at that point, it dawns on him that God knows what he's doing, and God can turn what was meant for evil into a good that satisfies and ultimately becomes something that feels like it erases the evil. Let's read what he says. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. That's some serious phrase right there. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve, you for a rem- as, per- preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. What Joseph is trying to explain to his brothers, what Joseph just experienced is what the resurrection of Jesus Christ is pointing at. It's what the resurrection of Jesus Christ is trying to get us to aim at, to hold on for, to believe towards, that God can take what was meant for evil and turn it for good. Another example comes in the prophets, Joel. I told you we're going through the whole Bible. Joel chapter 2, 25 through 26. Joel gives this picture to the Israelites who are experiencing great evil. He says, this is what the Lord says, I will repay you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army, which I sent against you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. He wants to give him this picture that, that God will restore the years the locusts have eaten. Restore what evil has taken from you. And I got a great front row seat to this in my brother's life, my oldest brother. He, uh, grew up in the same home as me and then, but when he turned 18, he really decided to kind of go a different way. He's decided to go kind of indulge in all that the world has to offer. And, uh, all kinds of things, all kinds of things, far from the Lord, um, full in the world, uh, living in Vail, Colorado, and, uh, just doing stuff, doing stuff. He's like stealing TVs out of hotels at one point, like just doing stuff, you know? And, uh, And I remember after those five years, the Lord orchestrated some events in his life that brought him to a place where he had realized how empty this way was, um, how unfulfilling it was, how far away he was from where he knew he wanted to be or knew he should be, And, and he had basically decided to give his life to the Lord again. And real quickly in that moment when he gave his life to the Lord, he felt like the Lord was speaking to him the same thing that he had known all his life, that he was supposed to be a doctor. And yet, at this point, he thought, there's no way, I've just squandered all of these super important years. Everyone's gonna look at my you know, application and just laugh. And yet, he applied for medical school, didn't have a bachelor's degree, had wasted five of those 20-year-old years, and he got accepted. And he was 38 on the waiting list, but they only take 15. The most they've ever taken from the waiting list was 15 in the history of the school. And that year they took 38 off the waiting list. And he was literally like, like it was that skinny how he got in. And he was like, I'm just going to sit here and just, I mean, and maybe they'll let me stay if I don't make any noise or something. And he got all the way through medical school. He finished medical school and he said, as soon as someone calls me a doctor, I'm going to a place where there aren't doctors and I'm going to serve there. And so he and his wife and four daughters, they went and they served for guess how many years? Five years in Honduras. And then he came back from there and I was telling him last night, I was like, Peter, I'm telling your story at church today. And he's, and I was kind of reminiscing on this. He's like, David, you have no idea. That is just scratching the surface of what the Lord has done. And he now runs an ER hospital here in town. He's doing a lot of good. And literally, it's almost as if those five years never even happened. Which for him is a true testimony that God can give back to you the years that you destroyed. And this is where it becomes so important for us to understand. The evil that God uses, the evil that God can turn for good is not just the evil that has happened to you. This is where it gets really, really challenging, really, really hard to believe. God can also turn for good the evil that you have done to other people. And I get it. I don't even want to say that. I don't even want to believe that. It doesn't feel right. But that's the kind of God we're dealing with. He loves to take what was meant for evil and turn it into some really good stuff. The kind of good stuff that makes you feel like Joseph where you can't help but weep out loud. Because of how the goodness has shown up. Then you go on in the New Testament. Some of you are like, well that's Old Testament, so it doesn't count. You're wrong, but in the New Testament, Philippians chapter 1, we talked last week about how Paul was confident that he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. Now in these verses, he's saying, I'm confident that God can take what was meant for evil and turn it for good. He says in verse 12, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And because of this, a few verses later, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance." The resurrection of Jesus Christ is what is pointing in this direction. It is the proof of what Paul is proclaiming here, that God loves to take what was meant for evil and turn it for good. If you're like me, you're like, that is a nice Easter thought. And when I'm sitting in this space and I'm all dressed up, and you're singing these songs, and you're showing me the scriptures, I believe it. I'm leaning into it. But then when I go from this place, and I deal with the evil inside me, when I deal with some of those things mentioned in the video, I find myself having something other than belief. And I think about that guy, remember, who came across Jesus and he had a demon-possessed son. And it says that his son would throw himself into the fire to be burned or sometimes throw himself in the water to drown. And this father, we don't know a ton of details, we just know that this father loved his son enough that he was still with him and he was bringing him to Jesus. So he was probably the one that rescued him from the fire, rescued him from drowning. He's the one that had cared for him and, and taken care of him all his life as he experienced this great evil in his family and with his son. And now he's bringing him to Jesus out of desperation, and he said, "Jesus, can you help?" And Jesus said, "Well, do you believe in the prophets? Do you believe Messiah? Do you believe that God can do something about this?" And he said, "Yes, I believe." And then you can almost picture—it doesn't say this, but you can almost picture him looking down at his son, and the next phrase that comes out of his mouth is, "Lord, help my unbelief." He said, Lord, "If I'm honest, Jesus." I'm both I believe and I don't believe. I'm 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 right now in your presence gripped with this hope but but at the same moment I'm gripped with this evil and this fear and this heaviness. And he said Jesus can can you help that? And Jesus said he could. And he healed his son. And for me, I come to this Easter and I was thinking about the evil that's taken place in my life. And it wasn't hard for me to remember the day when when evil really did come crashing into my heart, came flooding into my family. And it was the day that my dad took his life. He was 48 years old, he was my hero in a million ways. He was awesome taught me so much and he was my security blanket like he was my you know if I I could do anything because I knew if I messed it up my dad would just swoop in and make it all better and now he was gone through the evil of suicide and my mom was gripped with it and my brothers were gripped with it and it was heavy and there was unbelief no doubt about it. But for whatever reason, my brothers, we all decided that we were going to continue to put ourselves in Jesus' hand and see what his grip was all about. And then we just celebrated two weekends ago my, my one brother's 48th birthday. Might seem like a weird birthday for you guys to, to celebrate, but for us, 48's a really big deal. And this, this July, we're going to celebrate my other brother's 50th birthday, I'm only 44, so I'm holding on, trying to get to 48 and beyond. But there's some goodness. All of us have a deeper relationship with Jesus because of this, and that's good. Um, Someone who knew my dad and knows me really well, you know talks about how he's, he's just seen the way that I've ordered my life and the mental health kind of practices I have. And he just said, that is, it's so good what you're doing. And he sees it as a direct result of the evil and difficulty and challenge. And that's good. I can tell you countless moments, even after second service today, where someone's come up to me and said, hey, I'm contemplating suicide, or I just lost someone to suicide. And I've been able to kind of, you know, be there an offer or something, bring comfort. And that's good. But the truth is, is at this point, I would say I'm probably feeling a little bit more like the lead slave or the, the lead prisoner, maybe even like a middle of the road prisoner. Yet I'm longing for the day when I'm going to weep out loud because the fullness of the goodness of God has come. And it so far outweighs the evil of what I've been through. And that's what the resurrection of Jesus is pointing towards. That's what the resurrection of Jesus is proclaiming over all of humanity, including what is touched by sin and death. That one day, if we hang on to Jesus, we're going to get to see like Joseph how the Lord can take what was meant for evil and bring about great good. No matter if it was the evil done to you or the evil you've done unto others. Well, that's really good news. Will you pray with me? I know it's Easter Sunday and you've got a whole bunch of things to do after this, but don't miss this next 10 minutes or so. Take a deep breath if you need to, and just bring to mind the evil that's in your life, but also bring to mind the spirit hovering over that, and the promise of Jesus that he's going to make all things new. That just like he made the sadness of that death become untrue with the resurrection, he has a plan to make all sadness come untrue. And yet somehow be better for having once been broken. Jesus, we thank you for your unbelievably good promises. And Lord, we do come to you and we believe that you are that good and that powerful. But Lord, we also bring to you our unbelief and pray that somehow we would be more gripped by you and your love and your hope than gripped by the evil we've experienced. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. (laughs)